Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The Bigger Picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Thanks for joining me on The Bigger Picture. And we are looking at where global growth is going. And it does appear that the risks, vulnerabilities, and challenges are tilted to the downside. That's at least according to AMRO. And we've got Anthony Tan. He is the Deputy Group Head and Senior Economist for AMRO joining us. Good morning, Anthony. How are you doing today? Hi, hi. Good morning, Ryan. Um, I'm good. Thanks for having me today on the program. Hey, it's great to have you talk about what's coming up for the rest of the year. And everyone's been talking about what's happening in China. We've been watching it very closely, the reopening story. There's been some uh, rebound of sorts, but it doesn't seem to be enough for people. And right now, the data we're getting is showing some sluggishness. Give us a picture of how bad it is right now when it comes to China's growth trajectory. What's disappointing you on the front? Uh, thanks, thanks, Ryan, for the question. Perhaps let me start by giving you a big picture of the, the regional economic outlook. Mm. Uh, based on our latest quarterly survey that we have just released, uh, we are now looking at a baseline growth forecast for the region about 4.6% this year and 4.5% next year. Now, certainly this growth forecast is below the region's long-run average, uh, which is about 5% annually. Uh, but considering the challenging global economic backdrop, our forecast is fairly uh, respectable. Um, just let me quickly break down the numbers. Uh, for ASEAN, we are looking at uh, um, growth of about 4% level, uh, and uh, that number will strengthen to about 5% next year, and mainly due to the robust uh, product consumption that was expected to hold up this year. Now, turning to uh, the plus three economies, and I'll touch about China shortly, we expect growth to strengthen this year, uh, notably Hong Kong and Japan, benefiting from stronger inflow of uh, tourism and domestic demand. Now, for China, we have uh, kept our growth estimates at 5% this year uh, and 5.2% next year. Certainly, as you mentioned, uh, you know, given the weak uh, slew of data just released uh, recently, there are headwinds to China's economy, um, which will clearly weigh on the rest of Asia's growth. Now, what does this mean for the region? Well, there are two key takeaways. First, of course, is the trade uh, developments. Uh, we have seen the weaker manufacturing activities in China certainly will be a drag on Asia's exports. As you know, uh, Asia is a big market. China's import of intermediate goods from the region is, is about one quarter share of total imports, which is really sizable. And second, uh, what I would say is that yes, all the private consumption and retail sales uh, continue to expand, which is encouraging. Uh, but we haven't really seen a lot of uh, activities with respect to China's outbound tourism. Mm. Um, you know, yes, yes, to pick up strongly though. Yeah, so we are still pretty optimistic that uh, you know it's coming. Uh, the prospect of a stronger return uh, would probably strengthen the second half of this year, and that helps to bolster growth uh, in, in some of the tourists. Yeah, Anthony. And economies. Yeah, it does look like uh, we've got a lot to watch out for. And when you look at your assessment, it does point to how risks, vulnerabilities, and changes are tilted to the downside. So, how much of a downside are we looking at when you look at where things are going? For example, with um, where the cost of living is, where price pressures are coming through. Um, the downside prices are certainly there in terms of growth, um, but the picture is quite differentiated across the region. Um, you touch upon inflation, the mm. cost of living pressures. Now, if you look at the numbers, we are seeing inflation figures uh, coming down very sharply for some economies like Thailand, but here in Singapore, <laughs> it's still pretty, uh, pretty sticky, I would say. Um, perhaps I can just quickly touch on the, the outlook then for yep. Singapore, because since we are here, 
Certainly, Singapore has benefited from fuller economic reopening. The services sector is doing really well, uh, led by travel and tourism. Uh, but I must say that the manufacturing sector is really facing headwinds uh, given the faltering external demand. And, and we know the Q2 advanced estimate released uh, last Friday showed that uh, indeed the manufacturing sector is going through a difficult period. So back to your question, how, how do we look at the outlook? Well, our update, uh, we have marked down our growth forecast for Singapore, 1.3% this year, 29 next year. So the weak China growth or the big China data will certainly temper the growth outlook for the rest of the year, um, and this includes in Singapore. So clearly, the downside risk to growth has uh, increased. Yeah, we've got to talk about what's um, coming up. Uh, of course, there's been a lot of talk about that move towards ESG to mitigate climate change. And for many countries, they've been trying to struggle with this transition. And this has on the table a lot of jobs at stake. If they move, they have to figure out what to do with the income industries as well. What are you seeing on that front? How difficult is it for this transition to happen? What needs to be done? Oh, <laughs> yeah, certainly climate change uh, has become a macro-critical uh, issue um, everywhere. Yeah? Um, now, this is where I look at you know, the transition to a greener economy. I'm sure that some people may wonder how easy it is, for mm-hmm. example, for a coal miner to shift jobs to, say, installing a wind turbine or solar panels, right? Now, I believe that in, in achieving the climate objectives, um, as part of the greening the labor market, uh, so, so to speak, uh, there needs to be an integrated package of labor market policies, you know, which is essential for a transition given the scale of the challenge. For example, a well-designed labor market policies, for instance, through careful diagnostics, assessment and target support, will certainly help to address some of the concerns of businesses, workers that are, would, in fact, uh, going through a, a period of adjustment. Now, I think the most important question is that this motivation for a green transition should also be closely aligned with a national energy transition roadmap. Uh, as we know, uh, Singapore has clearly a good roadmap for 2050. And for example, I can give you uh, one idea is that it, you know the country has been, in fact, already started pre-investing in hydrogen state uh, ready infrastructure mm. to ensure that its gas-fired generation plants uh, will be ready to adopt hydrogen once it becomes viable. So you know it shows that such initiatives are aligned to their strategies and such public investment uh, can help to crowd in uh, and, and incentivize private uh, investment uh, in the longer term. Yeah, there's always been, um, been this discussion whether you need more um, stakes or more incentives to move the needle. So I think that's going to be something we'll be continuing to watch. And looking at what else we are watching is what the Fed's going to be doing next week when it comes to FOMC rate decision. So when you look at that in play, what do we need to be mindful of uh, as investors and as um, um, businesses need to watch out for in terms of what interest rate policies will impact the operating environment? That's an interesting uh, question. Uh, for us, uh, unlike eight months ago, <laughs> we were pretty worried about uh, the outlook in the US. And uh, so far, encouraging to know that this uh, notion of hard landing has not materialized. Yeah, which is, which is good news. Moreover, in June, uh, the latest inflation reading suggests that the odds of a soft landing, in fact, has uh, improved. And the easing price pressure certainly helps to temper expectations of more rate hikes by, by the Fed. 
and uh, alleviate some of the pressures uh, from, from this part of the region if you look at exchange rates. So monetary policy can be focused on domestic uh, considerations such as supporting growth. However, I must say that there are still significant uncertainties on the direction of that policy and something we should continue to be mindful uh, looking at the downside risk. And one, one area that we are really watching closely is the debt vulnerabilities. Right, mm. as you know, for regulatory forbearance measures, uh, you know, implemented during the pandemic, are uh, you know gradually being withdrawn. So we are probably going to see some weaker firms, you know, coming under strain as growing costs would continue to be in high for longer. And, and this is particularly true in sectors that are still recovering from pandemic. Um, so some of these downside risks are clearly uh, on the horizon, and we should be uh, prudent and mindful of right. the after years of low rates, some of them have to pay back. So we'll see how that plays exactly. out. Okay, we've been chatting with Anthony Tan, or he's the Deputy Group Head and Senior Economist for AMRO. Anthony, thank you so much for your time this morning. Pleasure, Ryan. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.